All right, let's talk some more John's gospel. As we uh, shift now into chapter three, I want to remind you of what we've been talking about all along. Uh, John kind of summarizes for us what the whole book is about, this most recent of our gospels. The other three were written earlier in history. John's comes later. He, he's, he's writing with a very distinct purpose. He says in John chapter 20, uh, verses 30 and 31, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. I didn't get to all of them. He says, but the ones that are, these are written so that you may believe, verse 31, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 21 chapters, as we've kind of collated it, of information about this, this man, this Son of God, this Jesus, who is the key to unlocking heaven's door. I want you to know him. I want you to believe in him. And I want you to have life in his name, John says. I was thinking about this week. Basically, this is a, a long letter from John to us uh, that is akin to like the safety speeches that we get before we go on a journey. Has anybody ever been on a cruise? It's been a long time. I know they don't run right now. Uh, but back in the days when Eleanor and I would take vacations and maybe you know hit a boat uh, with our kids this one time, um, we had to line up. And remember, if you've ever been on a cruise, you've got to line up before the boat ever leaves the dock. And you've got to listen to the captain and his crew basically explain to you what to do in case this thing sinks. Right? We want you to go to this boat, make sure you leave all your stuff and just make it here. This is what's going to happen. A more you know, common experience of this is what happens before flights take off. Anybody been on a plane? Who, be honest, who listens to the speech before you take off? Is anybody really listening? Now, some of you do. That's good. I'm pleased. But most of us, are, we're just, we keep doing what we're doing. We're trying to fire off that last email before they make us shut, shut off our phones. Or, and, and we're not paying attention as they point to exits and they tell us that the, you know, the wings will become flotation devices or whatever that is they say. We're not paying attention. Why? Because it's all in the event that something goes wrong. And for you know, uh, thousands and thousands, thankfully, by God's grace, most, majority, vast majority of most flights don't end with a crash. Is anybody grateful for that? Don't, don't even want to bring that up if you're flying this week. But... We're not paying attention because we figure the thing's going to land where the ticket says. We're, we're going to be fine. But these are safety speeches, precautions. Now, what if I told you, spiritually speaking, the ship's going down? The plane's going to crash. Spiritually, you are dead and you will remain dead unless you heed what John has to say. It's kind of like this safety speech of all safety speeches. This gospel of John. Now, he's opened up uh, his book with uh, some great theology. The first 18 verses gives us all kinds of things to sort through in our understanding of who Jesus is. He transitions to telling Jesus' story. He starts with John the Baptist. He, he moves through some uh, uh, different opportunities where Jesus kind of begins his ministry years. He, he calls some disciples to follow him. There's five guys originally. There's that name again, five guys. I'm hungry. But... Uh, he calls these guys to follow him. And then chapter two, I love what happens in chapter two. He basically tells the story of, of two miracles, I'll call them. One's the miracle of the water turning into wine, which is a grace miracle. It's representative of, of the, the new thing that he's going to be doing, the new wine uh, that is going to represent his covenant. And then he, last week, if you're with us, what did he do? He wrecked the temple, right? And he shows the justice and the wrath of his nature and how we're not going to tolerate my father and I this false worship that humans love to give us. 
This week uh, starts kind of a new section of the story as John tells it. He's going to take us through conversations. The first one's going to be with a guy named Nicodemus. He's a a religious ruler of Jerusalem. In chapter 4, we're going to meet this lady from Samaria. She is not a religious ruler from Jerusalem. She's a hot mess with a capital H and a capital M. Uh, But uh, from these two opposite ends of the pole, if you will, uh, Jesus brings the same message. You need me. He's going to actually have this conversation with this guy, Nicodemus, today. And he's going to answer a question that, Jesus, or that Nicodemus never asks him. He's going to answer the question, what does it take to enter the kingdom of God? Nick never even hints at this. But Jesus is like, this is what we're talking about, Nicodemus. And off he goes. Like I said, I had planned to preach 21 verses to you today. There's way too much here to cover in 40 minutes, 45, 50, 70. Anyway, but let's cover what we can as we answer this question. What does it take to enter the kingdom? Put another way, how can I be saved from spiritual death? This is, this is John's um, first and, 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 and most formed answer to that question. It's Jesus' safety speech. Here it comes. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, chapter 3, verse 1. He was a ruler of the Jews. A couple of things here in uh, Nicodemus's dossier. Um, he's a Pharisee. He, he understands the Jewish law. He's a pro. The rest of the Jews, amateurs. Pharisees, pros. He's also probably a man of privilege uh, because he is uh, counted amongst the leaders or the rulers of the Jews. The Jews uh, were given the opportunity to kind of govern through what was called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was kind of like our county commissioners and local uh, municipality authorities. Um, he was a part of that team. If you go to verse 10, which we're not going to get to today, uh, Jesus says, how can you, uh, the teacher of Israel, he calls him the teacher of Israel, not a teacher of Israel, which we might expect. And that's a very peculiar um, statement for Jesus to make. It, it makes most scholars who read this think, hey, this guy must be kind of special amongst the, the rabbis of the day, the teachers of his day. He's kind of like the expert that you'll see on like the newscasts who wants to comment on whatever's happening in our, our world He's kind of the, uh, the, the TV personality, if you will, of the Jewish faith. He's known. He's, he's um, repeated as the teacher of the law, verse 10. Now, this man, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus by night. Don't miss this. We've heard lots of conversation already in John's gospel about how Jesus is the life who came as the light to men. He's going to continually bring that up, even as we finish this chapter in the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. He's going to talk about uh, man loving the darkness and hating the light. So it's no wonder then that uh, even as John describes the physical setting that this conversation takes place in, darkness, probably because Nicodemus is a little shaky on being seen with this radical rabbi, this carpenter from Nazareth who's done miracles and been the cause of questions throughout Jerusalem. Maybe he's a little nervous about that, so he wants a clandestine hangout. But it's not just the physical setting, it's also the spiritual setting that everybody comes to Jesus in initially, right? Every one of us is lost in the dark, without the light, just as Nicodemus is here. He comes to Jesus by night and he says to him, Rabbi, that's nice, good start, right? He's being pleasant. 
He actually puts him on the same level socially as, as he is as a rabbi. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. We here probably being him and some other guys that have kind of, you know, been intrigued by the story of Jesus. We know that you're a teacher come from God because no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus is kind of warming Jesus up for the questions that he truly wants to ask, right? Anybody do this when you meet someone for the first time? Hey, man, heard a lot about you. I've seen your work. I know what you're about. And here's what I want to know. I anticipate, you know, I don't have any proof of this, but I'm guessing Nicodemus is going to be like, what's this all about? What's your deal? Maybe he's going to ask him, how'd you do that? Anybody ever met a magician? Not that Jesus is a magician in any sense of the word, but anybody ever met someone who's done tricks before? And you're like, how'd you do that? Maybe those are the questions that Nicodemus is waiting to ask of our Savior. But he never gets to ask it. He never gets to pose his questions because Jesus just answers a question that he hasn't asked. And he says this to him in verse 3, truly, truly, those are the words, amen, amen. Anytime you see truly, truly in the New Testament, Jesus is saying his amen before he says what he says. We usually save our amens after, right? We're usually like, hey, that's good, amen. But Jesus kind of primes the pump. He says, hey, guys, be paying attention. What comes next? Very important. Amen, amen. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What he's basically saying there is that we must be born again to a new life in Christ. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. I'll come to that later. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Who's been around the church for a while? Some of us are old enough to remember President Carter. Anybody remember him? Jimmy came out and it was well documented that he professed to be a born-again Christian. It's one of the first times that publicly this vernacular hit the mainstream. Chuck Colson wrote a book called Born Again. He was involved in Watergate. I'm really dating myself right now. Anyway, uh, but this idea of being born again, is, is a, it's, it's common in the, in the language of the church, but I'm, I'm often just shocked by the number of people who have no idea what that means. Like, I know it's what I have to do, and I have a certain sense of what it is, but they've never really dug into what Jesus was saying when he said it. That's what we're going to do today. How cool is that? We must be born again to a new life in Christ if we expect to enter the kingdom. Now, the Jews, Nicodemus being one of them, had long anticipated the kingdom of God coming to earth. They had they'd heard from their prophets and read from their prophets that this was a future end for the Jews. Um, a descendant of the king of David would come and set up a kingdom on earth. A, 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 an agent, a servant of Christ, as it was explained to them in Isaiah, would come and set up the kingdom of God. They, they, they understood the kingdom of God, and they completely assumed that the kingdom of God was for who? Us, the Jewish nation. In fact, the keys to the kingdom of God were opened by your DNA. If you had the sign of, of, of the law of Moses, if you had the, the, the blood of Abraham flowing through your veins, you're in. That's all you need. And Jesus, a fellow Jew, comes to this teacher, the teacher of Israel, and he says, everything you've been told is wrong. Because for you to enter the kingdom of God has nothing to do with your Jewishness. It has everything to do with new life. 
Because Jesus is going to make his point pretty clear. The old life, whether you're Jewish, Gentile, whatever, the old life is irredeemable. Can't be fixed. You can't slap some good works on your bad works and make yourself okay. You have to receive new life through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul plays this out in Ephesians. He says that before Jesus, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. I talk to you about this all the time. That's not kind of dead, sort of dead, mostly dead, in a coma, on life support. You're dead. And unless you are given life again, you cannot be alive in a spiritual sense. It's not a remodel. It's not a rehab. It's a tear down and a start over. About six years ago now, uh, Eleanor and I purchased the home that we're living in. Uh, I don't know if I've ever shown pictures of it here while I've preached, but it was a mess when we bought it. It had been a homeless camp before uh, some recent renters had lived in it. Uh, if you saw it, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Jalassie windows. Someone had come and stolen not just the copper from the air conditioning uh, unit outside. They stole the air conditioning unit. Uh, uh, the pipes were rotten. Uh, uh, the, the septic tank was clogged and unusable. We basically built a new house uh, using the blocks and the, and the roof that were left there. Plumbing, electric, I mean, you name it, it had to be redone. But still, even after all that work was done, we had the original structure to work with. It saved us some money. In fact, one of my buddies is a builder, and when he saw the, the property, he's like, tear it down. Let me build you another one. And there was some wisdom to that, having gone through the eight, eight or nine-month process of fixing it up to where it is livable now. But I want you to understand what Jesus is saying here is that this is a complete redo. Your life is dead, destroyed, broken, irreparable because of sin. And there's no lipstick that will make this pig suitable. That's us. There has to be a new pig. Some interesting language here. I love Greek. Uh, it was one of my favorite classes when I went to seminary. But um, Jesus uh, kind of uses a turn of phrase here when he says you must be born again. There's two words in the Greek language that are translated again. The most common is the word palin, like Sarah, right? Uh, palin means again, right? But the other word, which is less often used, but Jesus chooses to use for here is the word anothen. Everybody say anothen. You guys are so good at Greek. Anothen uh, is often translated again, but even in this very chapter, as, as uh, John and, and Jesus are represented later in the story here in uh, John's gospel, he uses the same word anothen, and it's translated in its other form, which is from above. And some of you might have Bibles that actually translate Jesus saying here in chapter 3, verse 3, you must be born from above, because that's what it can mean. But even beyond that, even as Jesus kind of uses this play on words, you must be born again or born from above, um, his use of anothen here is, is, is distinct because anothen isn't like palin in its meaning as you know, being a repetition or doing something again. Uh, anothen is basically when it's used as saying again, it means you have to be, um, it has to be repeated by the one who originally did whatever it was that's being repeated. So in this case, if you were born and, and God was the, the, the source of your birth, then for you to be born again, anothen, you have to be born again by the God who bore you or 
caused your birth to happen in the first place. It'd be, it'd be like, I watched this YouTube video of Ed Sheeran. Anybody heard of Ed Sheeran? He's a pop star. Just me? Okay. Good working with you this morning. I'm sure everybody online is paying attention. Thank you for that. Uh, there was a wedding. A, a contest was won on an English uh, a reality show by, by a, a couple that was getting married, and this, this show put their wedding on for them. And so as part of that, um, they had said that they, their first dance, they wanted to dance to this Ed Sheeran song called Evergreen. And, and so they said, great. And they surprised this couple. As the song was about to begin, the DJ stepped away from his you know, uh, instruments, and here comes from, out, from behind the, the screen, Ed Sheeran himself. He walks out with his guitar, steps up to the mic, and sings as only you know, the, the, uh, the writer of a song, the, the, the original, uh, could sing. It was beautiful, touching. Now, uh, I don't know if Ed stuck around. I'm guessing not. But let's say Ed stuck around. He's hanging out at this wedding reception with this couple, and someone comes up to Ed and says, you know, that, 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 that rendition of your song was so beautiful when you sang it, I want to hear it again. Wouldn't it be weird if that person, having said that to Ed Sheeran, says, but I don't want to hear it from you, and goes over to the DJ and asks them to play the record, or the whatever it's called now, or, or, or goes even more to his buddy. You know, my buddy does a great version of your song, Ed. Can he borrow your guitar? and sends his buddy up there to do this. Wouldn't make any sense. Now, that's the sense that we have here of this born again, a nothing. It has to be done by the originator. We know how we first got our lives. In Genesis 2, God formed Adam, the first man, and subsequently the rest of us, from dust. And it says there that he breathed life into us. He gave us life. And so if we're going to be physically born because of the creation of God. We need to be spiritually reborn with God as the cause of that birth. Put it another way, if you want access to the kingdom of God, you need to be made alive by the king who is God. Now Jesus uses this word anothen and apparently it throws Nicodemus completely off. He doesn't hear from above. He doesn't hear born of God. He just hears born again, flat. And he gets all literal. He says in verse four, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother, mother's womb and be born again? Okay. Uh, no, Nick, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that we have to find our mothers and do all that. Who's, who's yeah, okay, uh, just weird even to think that. But Jesus continues, and he helps him understand with the things that he says next. And we're going to see that as he talks, he's going to explain to Nicodemus and to us that new life, this, this life that will save us from spiritual death, it, it has to be a rebirth, but it starts when we, when we enter into repentance, and, and that repentance leads us to regeneration. New life starts when repentance leads to regeneration. Jesus says in verse 5, another one, truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. All right, so let me 
suss this out, he basically says. You want to know what it is to be born again? You've got to be born of water and of spirit. Now, I grew up, maybe you grew up, hearing that, well, water represents the physical birth because when a woman has a baby, her water breaks, and that's kind of the signal that we're going to get this whole birth thing going. And so the water represents a physical birth, and then the spiritual is what Jesus is talking about. He's, he's talking about you have to be born spiritually. And I've always been satisfied with that, but I, I don't think that's totally what Jesus is saying here because he's not talking about physical birth at all. He's talking about being born again. You have to be born again. He's talking about the spiritual birth. And so the water here is not, to me, representing this physical in any way. So some people have, have accepted that and they've, they've gone on in, uh, to take this uh, translation or this you know, interpretation in different directions. Uh, one group has said, well, he's talking about baptism. And they've become like ultra-baptistic. In a sense, they basically said, well, we have to be born of water. Like uh, a lot of the denominations or even the Catholic faith that has infant baptism, that kind of stems from these kinds of, of, of teachings in the scriptures that they say, okay, salvation comes from literal water baptism and then a faith as well. And so some denominations have said, well, uh, if you're going to truly be saved, you've got to believe, as Jesus is going to go on to talk about, but you have to be baptized too. And in fact, if you're not baptized, your belief isn't enough. Now, we've rest, read the rest of our Bibles, and we know that that's not true. Is that right? We're saved by grace through faith and not by our works, including the work or the right of baptism. Baptism is something that happens as, a, as an evidence of something that has already occurred in us, right? It's a, it's a picture of the, of the faith and, and the renewed life that we received uh, from Christ. But it's not what saves us. I remember I sat down on a, a, a trip that I was on in Africa, and uh, we were there, a team of my uh, students and I, and we were in the plane, and, and another group of American students uh, walked onto the plane. And they sat down in seats near us, and uh, as soon as the, the uh, fastened seatbelt sign came off for this short flight in country, they all got up and, and grabbed their Bibles from the overhead bins, and they sat down and started talking to the, to the rest of us Americans about Jesus. And we were like, great, other, you know, other Christians you know, want to share their experiences, what's going on. But they, they, they were from a church that was ultra-baptistic. They actually believed that unless you were baptized, not just in any water, but unless you were baptized in the water that their church had, it was really cool water, apparently. Um, you could not be saved. And, they, and I sat with this sweet girl who eventually I just told, you're wrong. And I think our converse, I know you're a sister somewhere in there, but uh, we're not doing this. Go away. I want to read my magazine. Anyway. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is saying either. So what is he saying when he says it's by water and by spirit that you and I are born again? Well, I think uh, throughout Scripture, water is, is used as a purifying agent. If you go to the Old Testament laws, there was all kinds of ceremonial washings that had to occur before you could give your sacrifices. It was always representative of the repentance side of regeneration. Jesus, when he gets going uh, sharing his gospel in Matthew chapter 4, he says it this way. It's after he's you know, been tempted in the wilderness by Satan and he's, he's come to Galilee and he's going to launch into his ministry years. And he says, uh, and he, this is not the only place that he says this. In fact, when he starts preaching his gospel, he starts with this word, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe, he says in other places. Repentance. If, if you want to make it rhyme, repentance is all about leaving the old you so that you can believe in Christ and have a new you. Repentance is the leaving. 
and the leaving precedes the believing. Now, this isn't uh, super popular in the day and age where this gospel that we have is preached. People just want the, the, the free stuff. Wait a minute. Jesus came, died, rose again so that I can have life anew. I'm in. Where do I sign? And they'll pray the prayer at the, at the big meeting where all the music was playing and the emotions were high. They'll pray the prayer. But no one has ever explained to them that it's not just an incantation, not just a, a bunch of words that you repeat after somebody that makes you saved. It is in your mind understanding that I am leaving this old life that I had when I didn't have Jesus and I am believing in him to save me so that I can have the new life that I meant to have with him. It's by water and by the spirit that you and I can enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like prereqs, right? Everybody understands prereqs. My son Cooper came to, he's at the end of his USF career. It's been a long time coming. Uh, but he uh, got to last semester, which was supposed to be his last, and he thought, as he had saved these two classes uh, towards the end here, that he could take Spanish one and Spanish two in the same semester. Yeah, you, yeah I, I did the same thing. I'm like, no, bro. Spanish one is where you learn enough so that you can take Spanish two. It's a prereq. And listen to me, look at me. If you're sharing the gospel with someone, or if you've someone in here who thinks that you're a Christian, but you've never repented of the sins that are in your life and said, God, I don't want that to be who I am anymore. I want to head in the directions that you've called me to into this new life that I'm meant to have with you. If it's only been, yeah, strap on that good news. Give me some Jesus and take me to heaven. You haven't understood the gospel. It is a leaving and then a believing. We need to identify, confess, and commit to move away from the things that separate us from God. I was seven years old the first time I ate a piece of cantaloupe. That was the last piece of cantaloupe I ever had in my life. Some of you like that stuff, good on you. You can have all the cantaloupe that's ever offered me that has never gone past these lips again. I don't know if you've ever had something that like you've tasted and you're like, nope. But that for me was cantaloupe. That hit my lips. My mom had talked it up. So delicious. It's so fresh. Here, try a bite. It hit my lips. I immediately spit that cantaloupe out on my mother. And I ran, I mean, seven. I'm running to the bathroom and I'm, I'm trying to get with water this nasty, gnarly taste out of my mouth. It's one of the most visceral memories of my childhood. Cantaloupe. But it's a great picture of what's meant to happen when we repent, when we realize that our sin is killing us and that apart from the grace and the gift that God gives us in Christ, we're dead, then the taste that our sin is to us should be repulsive, repugnant, and we should spit it out of our mouths and run the other direction and confess to all, as I did in that day in my house, I will never <laughs> eat cantaloupe again. Now, for some of us, when we came to Christ, there were certain sins where that, that was the exact case. We, we saw that this was wrong. This was ruining my life. This was not what God willed. And it became this repulsive taste in our mouths, and we haven't gone back. But testify. 
Anybody here got some good taste in sins in your life? Mmm, I like that one. Give me some more of that. We'll talk more about that in a second, but uh, even with the ones that we like, those are representative of the old life. God wants us, as the scripture tells us over and over again, to flee youthful lust, flee temptation, to, uh, to you know, we pray to God to deliver us from, from evil. Uh, repentance, this leaving that leads to believing is, is a part of the story of our being born again. I'm going to skip down to verse 8. If you want to go there in your Bibles with me, go to John chapter 3, verse 8, where Jesus, as he continues his speaking, says, Hey, man, the wind blows where it wishes, and you're, you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of spirit. Anybody ever read these verses and been like, huh? I have a lot of those in the Bible, a lot of the huh verses. What Jesus is basically saying here is, listen, man, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born of water. You've got to be born of spirit. And he's referring to the spirit and its nature in our lives. He's saying, listen, you can't see the wind, but you can see its effects. He says, you can't see the spirit, but when you truly repent and receive, when you leave and believe, then the spirit comes into you and he starts moving things in the direction of God in ways that you can't fully explain but you can see and others can see in you. The spirit blows where it wishes. That word wind is the exact word for pneuma, for the spirit. And, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. There's this new uh, attraction out by uh, Bass Pro Shops called iFly. Has anybody seen this thing? You get in this big plastic tube and you put on a skydiving suit and they got a big fan in the floor and it just blows you up in the air. I watched it. I don't think I want to do it. Like, I'll just lay on my bed like this. I think it's the same thing, right? <laughs> but you can't see the wind. You can hear it. You can see its effects as you lay your carcass on top of this invisible force. It's the same with the spirit in our lives. Have you ever done something you're like, I can't explain that? I didn't know that when I shared that with this person who had this question about God. I'm not normally a giving person, and I totally was in this situation, and I gave in not just generous ways, but in extravagant ways. I can't explain why I did that. That was the wind, people. Blowing through you, the spirit being revealed in you. Uh, we want that in our lives. It's, it's proof of the change that has come through us being born again. Let me go back and finish what Jesus was saying here in these verses, and we're almost done. Verse 5, one more time, says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born, here we go, of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel then, Nicodemus, that I say to you, you've got to be born again. That's like Jesus saying, duh. Don't you get it? We, we get that, right? Flesh breeds flesh. Spirit breeds spirit. We were watching, or watching, we were looking through uh, uh, online dog offers. We, we don't want another, well, we kind of want another dog, but we're not really serious about it. Is anybody like that? You just kind of look. Just us. Okay, uh, so we're looking at puppies. And did you know there's like all these combos of puppies now? There's Morkies, there's Doodles, 
like 50 doodles. There's a, ours is a shipu, what's a shih tzu poodle mix. You gotta be really careful how you say that. Anyway, uh, the, 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 the amount of, of dogs, expensive dogs that have been kind of combined with each other, uh, it, it, it's amazing. You know what you can't find? Cat dog. There's no cat dog. No like tabby poodle mix. Because species breed species. There's no duck squirrel. There's no, well, maybe a platypus. Anyway, uh, but they, they don't, we don't, we understand this. Humans, the flesh breeds flesh. Now listen, real quick, just a primer on flesh. When I say flesh in this world, we think what? Skin. The Bible's not talking about your skin. When the Bible talks about flesh, the Bible is referring to the whole of a person. Body, soul, and spirit. That's your flesh. That's, that's your, your all-encompassing self. So when it says in the story of, of the first marriage in Genesis 2, when, when Adam sees Eve for the first time and says, this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And then later in the commitment of, of a marriage, it says the two shall become one flesh. We've always looked at that and thought maybe sexual thoughts or skin outer thoughts. That's not what it's talking about at all. The Bible's saying these two people, body, soul, and spirit, become one. And that's marriage. If you want to kind of picture how these things work, uh, especially in, in, in the terms of Nicodemus, Nicodemus was body, soul, and spirit, but he was absent the Holy Spirit. There was no spirit of God in him because he was dead in his trespasses and sins. Are you with me? And so that'd be like you and I being compared to like an airplane, okay? Your body is the fuselage, the, the, the whole plane. Uh, the soul is maybe the, the pilot or the steering mechanism on the plane. And then the spirit is the engine, but when we are without Christ, we are without a good engine, which is not a good thing on a plane. If you get up in the air and your engine doesn't work, all the things that were working in harmony with the fuselage and the pilot are now not working anymore, and you are just a weight in the air. And your eventual end is the earth and your destruction. Is everybody with me on aviation? Everybody understands how this works? And so you and I in our sin are born with a faulty engine. That's what flesh produces. But Jesus says, but spirit produces spirit. I can give you a good engine. I can give you what's necessary so that you can fly this plane as God has determined for you to fly it. That's all that we have time for. There's so much here. But what Jesus is saying, and we'll continue it next time I get to talk to you, is that if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven, we have to become new. We have to enter into this new life like Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is, Christ, is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And so as we end today, let me give some good news to everybody who's in here. Because here's the deal. Did you know there's only two kinds of people in the world? Some of you are like, no, Mark. There's way more different types of people. And even as our world, you know, wrestles with, you know, what genders are and all these different things, and there's bills before the house, I know about those, you praise, you know, with, anyway. But even as all, the, all these things, what you can do, spiritually speaking, is boil down all of humanity, all seven, eight billion of us or whatever, into two categories. Those who have not been born again and those who have. So let me talk to both of you this morning. If you're here this morning or you're watching me this morning and you have not been born again, and by that I mean you have not repented and received from God this regenerated life, this new life that only he can give. Here's the good news. I just told you how to get into the kingdom. You need Jesus. 
Belief in him. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is your savior. Make him your Lord. As we sing today, if you're in the room and you want to come and receive Jesus for the first time, come and hang out with me. I would love to introduce you to this new life that you can have by being born again. But I know there's a bunch of us in here who've already made that decision. We are born again. Praise God. Anybody happy about that in the room today? Anybody happy about that? A couple of you are. That's good. That's good. Anybody still wrestle with the old life that we've been saved from? Every hand should be in the air right now. Please put your hands up. Thank you. Okay. We all wrestle with sin. We all wrestle with those tasty things that should be repugnant and revulsive to us. We all wrestle with going back. You know, picture a, a I have one in my office. Picture a string and, and it's a tug of war and this little flag. Remember you put the flag in the middle of the, the rope when you have a tug of war? When you, were, when you were without Christ, the flag was all the way over here, dead. Old life all the way. Even if you thought you were good, you weren't. But here's the deal. When you put your faith in Jesus, you were given this new life and the flag slid over here. And usually right after someone receives Christ, it's a pretty good couple hours, couple days, couple weeks. But then all of a sudden, the flag starts moving again. And we start wrestling with the old who we are. Can I give you some encouragement as you leave today? You've been given a new life. It's not something that you're awaiting in the future. It's an already occurring event. You are new in Christ. And if you're new and you want to stay new and you want to stay away from the old, there's a couple things I would recommend to you. The first one is this. Remember that the flesh in you is dead. It's dead. I know it raises its ugly head. You kind of resuscitate it for a few minutes and you go back into it, but it's dead. Its power over you has been conquered. Paul tells the Romans, you, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. You have to have the mindset that that's not me anymore. The second thing, and this is the life with Christ that we all live now. We have been given this opportunity to honor God, to glorify God as disciples. And the way that we do that is we feed the spirit side of us and we starve the flesh. Feed the spirit and starve the flesh. Look what it says in 1 Peter. It says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all the slander. That's old us. Like newborn infants, infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Desire what is in Christ that you may uh, grow up into your salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Starve the bad stuff. Feed on the good stuff. Had a conversation with a young Christian this week. He's wrestling with pornography. I was like, all right, here's what we're going to do. There's this program called Covenant Eyes. And you're going to put it on your computers and your phone, and I'm going to be your accountability partner, and we're going to starve that part of your flesh by the grace of God out of your life. That's how you do battle. You fight against those things. But then in the place of those things, I want you to meet with me weekly as we uh, dig into God's word and as, as, as you, you know, go to your life group, as you hang out with us here at church, you feed off of these things and you stop eating these things. It's a diet, people. It's a spiritual diet. Bad foods, good foods. Stuff that kills, stuff that honors. It's been 10 months since I had a Diet Coke. I feel great. Oh, that, that, that's why I said that. But 
It's a discipline. You don't think I want a Diet Coke? Every time I take a chip and I put it in salsa, I'm like, where is the rest? That's how sin works. We get into patterns and the places and we're like, where's the part of this that's missing? And God says, no, stay out of those places. Avoid those patterns. Get away from those people who would lead you astray. Grant God the access to you that he deserves and glorify him in this new life that he's given you.